great to see a Purpose Church. So good to be together. And you know, I just want to thank you and praise God for how he used you last Sunday uh, to invite your friends to our Fun in the Sun Day. You know, we had almost 400 more people than last year. So growth of 400 in, in just a year. And you know how we had those uh, invite cards to Fun in the Sun? Well, I just kind of like to encourage you that we have our regular invite cards here uh, for any Sunday, just th throughout the year, not just at the special outreach times. And they're available when you're here on campus at the Connect Center. So be sure to get uh, a bunch of those uh, next time you're here. Get a fistful of them or, or enough to put in your daytime or in your purse or, or wherever that you can hand these out uh, uh, when you're talking to somebody just to think to invite them to our church. This is a great tool just as we use it for special occasions. It's a great tool uh, for every Sunday, Sunday by Sunday throughout the year. And speaking of some great opportunities, uh, Chris Brown is going to be here on September 30th. Uh, he is a tremendous speaker, one of the best in the country, if not the world. And he is going to be here for our men's conference on September 30th. And then he's going to stay the next day, October 1st, uh, for all three of our morning services. So you're going to want to be here and invite some friends to be with you as well. Now, by far the most important thing that happened last Sunday was that after Pastor Eric preached, uh, 39 people took their first step and stood to receive Christ uh, across the services. And it was just an, an incredible day and be in prayer for those people in their new walk with the Lord. Now I want to mention one other thing that happened last Sunday that was also very important. You know, if you include all of the ages here, we have about 1,500 people in groups this fall. And 100 of them became part of a group this past week. Now here's why that's important. Uh, here's an illustration of that. Here, here's a picture of hippos that Emma's Volstead, uh, who was a member of our Kenya missions team this summer, uh, some pictures that she took. Now, hippopotamus are actually the most feared animal in Africa. Do you know that hippos kill uh, way more uh, people in Africa than lions do. And, and hippos are just considered almost invincible. And, uh, and, and when they're together uh, in, in a herd, nobody can mess with them. Um, now, now the problem comes when they drift from the herd. Uh, that's when they get in trouble. When they're together, nobody messes with a hippopotamus. But then 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And again, this is a video taken by Emma as part of our Kenya missions team. And, and, and what they came upon, our team, was that a teenage hippo had drifted from the herd. So if you're together with the herd, you're safe. But when you drift off by yourself on your own, uh, they found this lion eating a teenage hippo. And that is why being part of a group is so important, is that when we're together, we're invincible. But when we're out there on our own, we become vulnerable to that prowling lion, Satan, the devil, who's looking to see who he can devour. And that's why groups and being a part of a group 
is so important. So if you want to be part of a group this fall, go to purposechurch.com slash groups or go to our church center app to see all of our available uh, group uh, options. Now today we're continuing our 2023 series in which we're studying the 66 books of the Bible in 52 weeks. And the title of our series is Jesus on Every Page. And our new series within a series is The Letters That Changed History. And we'll be looking at the letters to the churches in the New Testament. But today we start with the book of Acts that tells the story behind those letters. But I want to particularly focus in on Acts chapter 27. Because I believe that it's going to be a great encouragement to you. Particularly if you are going through any storm in your life right now. Uh, What do I mean by storms? Well maybe you've just gotten a tough health diagnosis. Or you've been laid off at work. Or maybe you're having a tough time at school or in a relationship or a financial struggle. Maybe your storm is a result of wandering away from God or making a bad decision or not uh, dealing with a harmful habit. Regardless of your storm or why you're in it, in Acts we find that Jesus is our companion in the storm. Jesus is our companion in the storm. Now, before we get into this story, let's look at the background for the book of Acts. Content. It's part two of Luke's account. Remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Luke that um, actually Luke wrote kind of a part one, part two. Part one was the gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus. Part two is the uh, outreach of of the early church. So part two of Luke's account of the good news about Jesus, how by the power of the Spirit, the good news spread from Jerusalem to Rome. Its author is the same as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Luke, the physician and companion of the Apostle Paul on his mission trips, the only Gentile author in the Bible, the only non-Jewish author in the Bible was Luke. The recipients, like it was for the Gospel of Luke, are Gentile or non-Jewish Christians. And the emphasis is that the good news of God's salvation through Jesus is for Jew and Gentile alike thus fulfilling Old Testament expectations. The Holy Spirit guides the church in spreading the good news. Salvation for all is God's thing, and nothing can hinder it. The good news is accepted in joy by some and rejected in anger uh, by others. Now, by the way, ladies, if you want to dig deeper into the book of Acts, the women's Bible study on Acts uh, starts this Thursday uh, here on our campus. So now we come to Acts chapter 27. Uh, Paul is about to finish his race in Rome, but a storm stands in the way of him fulfilling God's plan and purpose for his life to preach the gospel before Caesar in Rome. And a storm stands in the way. Trouble stands in the way. Job 5 verse 7, Job said, people are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. Uh, John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But now we come to Acts chapter 27, verses one and two. Uh, When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. 
Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was Adramidium. Adramidium. That sounds like the stuff that Wolverine had on him in X-Men, doesn't it? But I digress. Adramidium, on the northwest coast of the province of Asia, it was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the, the province. Uh, now, let, let's continue, and it's just uh, amazing how the, the Scripture gives such incredible detail in these, uh, in these next uh, few verses. Let, let's go to verse 3. Uh, here's, here's a map of, of, of this area. And let me just kind of read it, and you look at the map, and let's trace it. The next day we landed at Sidon. So they start in Jerusalem, go to Caesarea, there in Sidon. And Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea and passed to the lee of Cyprus. Now, the lee means the side of, of the, where the wind is not coming from. So it's like Cyprus was blocking the wind. So it's the non-wind side. They would go on that to protect them uh, from the wind coming from the other side of the island. The island would provide uh, a protection from the wind. So to the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, so there's Pamphylia, we landed at Myra uh, in Lycia. There's Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving in Sanitas. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete. Now we see the enlargement of this area in the Mediterranean uh, Sea. We sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Salmon. Salmon. We moved along the course with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Now, why that's absolutely re remarkable is that this kind of historical and geographical detail and accuracy in a religious book is only found in the Bible. We take it for granted with our Bible. It's just filled with historical details and geographical details and archeological details and historical, just from beginning to end, that is dissimilar from any other religious book, which usually just has a philosophical bent. These are the things that someone thought up you should do to approach God but there's no way to test it against actual history and geography. And it just validates and confirms that uh, this book, God's Word, was written by an eyewitness uh, to the events. So let's ask the question, why do we experience storms in life? Well, first of all, we listen to the wrong experts. Um, the Jewish Day of Atonement was in late September or early October. And the Romans had a saying that if you sailed, if you went sailing on the Mediterranean after September 15th, it was doubtful you'd survive. And after November 11th, it was downright suicidal. So they were somewhere in time in the calendar between doubtful and suicidal. So now we come to verse 9. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement, so Paul warned them, 
Man, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. So we get in trouble by listening to the wrong experts. Now these two men, uh, the, the pilot and the owner, had greater expertise than Paul, or at least the, the pilot did. But Paul did have some expertise because he had traveled extensively. But he also, in addition to that expertise, had a spiritual perspective. And his judgment was not clouded by materialism. Remember, it said they'd lost a lot of time, and time is money, and so that pressure was on them. And so Paul was able to see clearly not being clouded by uh, materialism, not by the pressure of let's, let's push this thing through uh, to make more money. You know, our son Andrew was an airline pilot uh, and is now an air traffic controller. And he says that the greatest danger to pilots is what they call get there-itis. Get there-itis. The pilot and the owner of the ship had get there-itis. It was in their blind spot. They couldn't see it, but Paul could. But unfortunately, the centurion listens to experts whose judgment is clouded by get there-itis and by materialism. Sometimes we get in trouble because we take a vote. Uh, verse 12, since the harbor was suitable, unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided, the majority decided that we should sail on hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. Now, everybody wants to reach Phoenix and winter there, <laughs> even here in the United States, but nobody wants to summer in Phoenix, do they? Just read where uh, they've just come off 31 straight days of temperatures, the high being over 110 degrees, over 31 straight, 110 degree days. But again, I'm on a tangent. So they were hoping to reach Phoenix and to winter there. There was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. They took a, the majority decided. Everybody's doing it, so it must be okay. Some of you may remember Debbie Boone's uh, hit song back in 1977, You Don't Light Up My Life. It had that line, it can't be wrong when it feels so right. William Bacchus did a research study in which he found that the average American lies, tells 200 lies a day, which I find hard to believe. But he did include things like exaggeration, um, guilty as charged, uh, slander. So he included those things, and he, and he found out that the average American lies 200 times a day. Now, I still find that research hard to believe. But I do believe that the majority believe that it's okay to lie. I, I do believe that, do you? I, 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 th I think you'd agree with me on that. I love this story. At Duke University, there were four sophomores taking organic chemistry. They did so well in all the quizzes, midterms and labs, etc., that each had an A so far for the semester. These four friends were so confident that the weekend before finals, they decided to go up to the University of Virginia and party with some friends up there. They had a great time. However, after all the hearty partying, they slept all day Sunday and didn't make it back to Duke until early Monday morning. Rather than taking the final then, they decided to find their professor 
after the final and explain to him why they missed it. They explained that they had gone to UVA for the weekend with the plan to come to study. But unfortunately, they had a flat tire on the way back. Didn't have a spare and couldn't get help for a long time. And as a result, they missed the final. They lied. The professor thought it over and then agreed that they could make up the final the following day. The guys were elated and relieved. They studied that night and went in the next day at the time the professor had told them. He placed uh, them in separate rooms and handed each of them a test booklet and told them to begin. They looked at the first problem, worth five points. It was something simple about free radical formation. Cool, they thought at the same time, each in one in their own separate room. This is gonna be easy. Each finished the problem and then turned over the page. On the second page was written, which tire? <laughs> which tire was, was flat? Well, just because uh, everybody lies doesn't make it the right thing. They relied on the majority. They took a vote. The third thing that gets us into a storm is we, we rely on circumstances. Verse 13, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity so they weighed anchored and sailed along the shore of, of Crete. Another translation puts it this way. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. They thought they'd obtained what they wanted. Ah, this verse describes so much of what is going on in our culture today. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. You know, I want to give you parents a heads up about next Sunday's message. Um, it's going to be God's great love story, why gender and sexuality matter to God, and what the Bible teaches about LGBTQIA+. And so you may not want your children watching online with you next Sunday, or if you're here on campus, you want to, may want to be sure to use our fantastic children's ministry and uh, not have your children with you in the service. And so listening to the wrong experts, uh, following the majority, and relying on circumstances led the people on Paul's ship uh, into a storm. Now let's answer the next question. How do storms affect our lives? Well, first of all, storms cause us to drift. It says in verse 14, before very long, a, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. You know, sometimes in a storm, we drift and we, and, and, and we let go of our long-term goals and our long-term values. And we just let the, 
the storm drive us. We, we drift and, and we let go of that long-term purpose that God has in our life. Secondly, storms cause us to discard. Uh, verse 18, we took such a violent, violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So sometimes in a storm, we, we discard things. Now, now, sometimes that can be good. As a matter of fact, it is in the hard times of life, the storms of life, that sometimes we, we get our priorities straight and we throw overboard some lesser priorities and we hold on tight to some things that are more important in life. So sometimes it can be good. But sometimes in a storm, we are tempted to throw overboard the very things that were most valuable to us during better times. Like going through the storm of a midlife crisis and, and we throw overboard a 20-year marriage. Or we go through something like the, the pandemic and, and all the disunity that that caused in, in our families. And uh, so we throw our relationships with our extended families overboard. Or we throw overboard our church or our belief in God. Sometimes during a storm, we discard things. We drift, we discard things. And then thirdly, storms cause us to despair. It says in verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Does that describe you in some area of your life? Maybe that's why God by divine appointment is having you watch this right here, right now. He, he wants to meet you where you're at. You've given up all hope of being saved and God wants to say, Hang on to hope. I'm, I'm here in the middle of the storm. I want to give you some hope today. Paul didn't drift, discard, or despair. Instead, he was calm, courageous, and confident. Well, what was his secret? Well, he knew what to hold on to in a storm. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. Do you know that the anchor was one of the earliest Christian symbols? Uh, archaeologists have found the anchor symbol for followers of Christ as early as the first century AD, and they found it in the catacombs of, of Rome. You know, it's been said that character is made in the mundane. Just the ordinary stuff of life is where our character is built and made but it is revealed during a crisis. And it was revealed in Paul uh, during this crisis. His first anchor was God's presence. Verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. And so they threw him overboard. No, I, I don't think he said it like I told you so. I think he was just saying the fans, listen, should have listened to me, but you know what? We're going to get another shot here. Uh, take my advice this time. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and this loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, 
an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Anchor number one is God's presence. Uh, Max Lakato writes, I went to West Texas some time back to speak at the funeral of a godly family friend. He had raised five children. One son, Paul, told a story about his earliest memory of his father. It was spring in West Texas, tornado season. Paul was only three or four years old at the time, but he remembers vividly the day that a tornado hit their small town. His father hustled the kids indoors and had them lie on the floor while he laid a mattress over them. But his father didn't climb under the protection. Paul remembers peeking out from under the mattress and seeing his dad standing by an open window watching the funnel cloud twist and churn across the prairie. When Paul saw his father, he knew where he wanted to be. He struggled out of his mother's arms, crawled out from under the mattress, and ran to wrap his arms around his dad's leg. Something told me, Paul said, that the safest place to stand in a storm was next to my father. And the safest place to stand during a storm is next to your heavenly father. Don't don't throw overboard your faith in God when you're going through a storm. Cling tighter to his presence, to the anchor of his presence. You know, storms cannot hide the face of God. When you're in a storm, I know God may feel far away, but he still sees you. In Genesis 16, verse 13, Hagar, a single mom, found herself in a storm, but God delivered her. And afterwards, she gave a new name to God, one of our different names, one of the names we have of God in Scripture. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. In Hebrew, that's lo harai, uh, the, the God who sees. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. The anchor of God's presence. Secondly, the anchor of God's purpose. One of our favorite quotes around here, Purpose Church, is from John Wesley, where he said, you are immortal until your work for God is done. You can't die until your mission, your purpose from God is accomplished. It says in verse 24, the angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Storms cannot change the plan of God. You all know that I love this story. It's been one of my favorites, um, particularly over the last few years that we've gone through. Uh, it's a story of Jacob. It's a story of Joseph, but through his father, Jacob's eyes. And it says in chapter 30, Genesis 42, verse 36, their father Jacob said to them, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin Everything is against me. From where he stood in the middle of his storm, it seemed like everything was against him, but actually God was working behind the scenes for everything to actually be working for him and not against him. We skip to chapter 45. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt Jacob was stunned, and in the middle of your storm, if God could just give you a glimpse, just a little bit of hope that he's in control, 
despite the fact that you're in a storm right now, you would be stunned. He did not believe them. Verse 27. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. If you could just get a glimpse of how God is working in the middle of your storm, you would be stunned and your spirit would revive. And Israel, another name for Jacob, said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And then the third anchor is God's promise. Verse 25, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on, on some island. Storms cannot destroy the child of God. So with God's presence and God's purpose and God's promise, uh, Paul now faces the storm. And this is how um, the story ends, uh, picking up the story in verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the storm, the stern, and they prayed for daylight. And that's what you do in the middle of a storm. You drop those three anchors, God's presence, God's purpose, God's promise. You drop those anchors from the stern and then you just hang on tight and you pray for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Oh, I wish I had been on that ship that day to receive that, that promise from God. <laughs> Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat, and they were all encouraged. When, when you stand firm in the middle of a, st a storm, the people around you will be encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, they were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. 
He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. And Paul came through the storm to finish his purpose in Rome and reach his home in heaven. And you will come through your storm to finish your purpose and reach your home in heaven. Paul wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And by the grace of God, if you hang on to him, he will help you finish your race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all, like you, and you, and you, who have longed for his appearing. And all God's family said, amen and amen.